Do you wish that all things wealth and finance were much easier to understand and not presented by a bunch of beige cardigan-wearing geeks? Welcome to the Clever Investor Podcast, where we're dishing up the easiest-to-understand finance program served in bite-sized chunks, so your brain will thank you as your knowledge grows. Hosted by the brilliant Owen Taylor, a multiple award-winning expert with a glorious knack for explaining the complex world of wealth in the simplest of ways. Hey, Clever Investors, and welcome to another show, a really special show this week because we are far exceeding the normal bite-sized chunk that I only ever want to give you, the 20-minute maximum, because I'm giving you the full-fat version of the webinar that we recorded this week, the pop-up around the question of should you hold or should you sell your investment property? This has been a big question from a lot of our clients and also even just the general public ringing in to uh, to chat with us uh, at The Clever Investor, but also at Blue Wealth Property too. So what was devised by the Blue Wealth Property team was some answers to these questions. The uh, pop-up webinar went out this week and I'm going to play the audio of that for you today. I'm also going to release it on the Clever Investor um, YouTube channel as well because there are some charts in this and people you know might like to actually look at them but you know what if you're waiting for the kids to finish school or you're just having a wander around the park with the dog listening to this you are still going to get so much out of it give you a lot of confidence to move forward obviously you've got to do your own numbers talk to your own people and things like that if you've got any extra questions i've left the q a in at the end of the webinar but if you've got any extra questions feel free to email me here at The Clever Investor. It's owen at thecleverinvestor.com.au and owen is spelled O-W-U-N just for something different at thecleverinvestor.com.au. Hit that like button, please. Tell your friends and your family about it. It helps us spread the good word about everything we're doing here. And now it's over to the webinar. All right, everyone. Thanks for uh, jumping on with us today. Uh, obviously, over the last few months, uh, we've been asked a lot by a lot of our clients what we think is going to happen in the market. And most of that is underpinned by a little bit of fear. You know what, Tony? Should I be selling? Should I hold? Uh, I'm not sure how long I can hold for. Rates have gone up. You know, I'm a bit anxious. My mortgage has gone up. Uh, inflation's caused other things to go up. Uh, and uh, I'm now in two minds about whether I want to commit to that original strategy of buying an investment property and holding it for the long term, right? So I want to give you a little bit of perspective today on whether you should sell or you should hold. Right? Now, I know for some of you um, that know me really well, you know it's one of my favorite lines to say, uh, never hold, unless it's part of a retirement strategy. But that's certainly easier said than done. And like you, I also carry my own anxieties about market trends because I'm human until I stop and reflect on the reality. And so what I want to try and do today is reflect on a little bit of that reality. 
Otherwise, I look like I jaundice. So I'm in my office at home. I look very orange, but I'm sure none of you are too concerned about that. So um, the market hates uncertainty. So I think for most of us, we're in this um, unprecedented period. And before we started to see interest rates rise last year, the last time we saw an interest rate rise was back in November of 2010, all right? So we're talking 12 years between interest rate increases, right, before we had them in 2022. And there's a whole generation of homeowners and property investors that have actually had never seen an interest rate rise. They'd only ever seen interest rates fall. And there was this beautiful, stable period there before COVID where we had the longest period of interest rate stability in Australian history. And so our emotions were relatively in check because we weren't being thrown around up and down, up and down by, you know, inflation and interest rates and, and all sorts of uh, extreme economic data. And then, of course, enter COVID, and that drove all of this extreme economic data. Yeah, zero population growth, uh, record population growth, uh, record high vacancy rates, now record low vacancy rates, uh, mass undersupply, uh, the lowest approval rates in history, the highest construction cost increases in history, uh, one of the fastest increasing interest rate periods in history. And so we saw all this extreme stuff. And what that's done is it's created all of this emotional response. And we never make good decisions when we're overly emotional. Right? So let's talk about where some of this all sits now. So we know the market hates uncertainty. Right? I sense much fear in you, as Yoda would say there. Um, so this question of sell or hold really is rooted in that fear and uncertainty in the marketplace. So if you have a look at this graph on the right-hand side, the recent interest rate uh, increase period has been the fastest in 35 years. In fact, as you can see there, um, really the second fastest in history. And if you have a look at uh, the last time it was that extreme, was back in the late 80s, there was this massive increase in um, house price uh, growth in that um, late period there when music was amazing and fashion wasn't so amazing. Um, but the 80s was the last time we saw that. And so we're in this period now where we there are two, three generations, you know, um, Gen X and Gen Y and um, Gen Z and whatever the Nintendo generation is now and other generations. Um that have never seen what we've recently seen and never experienced what we've recently experienced to the same degree. Right? Um, now, Gavin will tell you, our senior research analyst, that we are already in a per capita recession. Right? Uh, some of you uh, out there know that with my best mate, I own a couple of supermarkets, and I can tell you that the supermarket trolley and the supermarket basket is a really good indication of whether people are spending less money and I can tell you they're spending less money, right? And um, we can see it in the GDP uh, data, so economic growth data. So in the September quarter, it grew 0.2%, which was half of what was already conservatively forecast. Now, you're going to find out soon that this data is actually good for us. As property investors, this data is good for us. Uh, now, house price growth, is slowing. We know that it grew rapidly uh, through and, and out of COVID, and then it started to slow down as 
the interest rates increased in 2022. And as people became more and more comfortable with that, uh, they started to increase again. And we are now very, very close to the top. And I'll show you that in just a sec. Now, if we zoom out, there are lots and lots of reasons to be bullish about that. And I'm going to show them to you using data, not using rubbish, hyperbole that we will see in the media and at barbecues with our relatives. So what does the economy look like? Well, um, what's been happening with prices? You saw that in 2022, uh, we saw the market correct, right, after what was an extremely good period for property prices there uh, through 20, late 2020 and through 21 and into the first part of 22. Right? And then we saw the dip. And it dipped, I think, around 9%, but we've seen the prices rebound this year. Right? Now, what that's shown us is that the undersupply or that imbalance between supply and demand is more powerful than the tightening credit environment. Yeah? We can borrow less now because our interest rates have increased and therefore our serviceability has shifted and therefore we can borrow less. Right? But the supply, the lack of supply, has shown to be more powerful than our ability or inability to borrow money, okay? So house prices are up about 9% from the fall. So they fell about, you know, high nines. So they're up about 9%. We are now 1.3% lower than the all-time highs. We are likely to end the year at the highest housing prices in history. Now, some people think, you know, there's this, massive drama with the property market and it's all really dangerous and it's really stressful. And whatever. But property prices are incredibly, incredibly resilient. We saw it through COVID. We saw it through the GFC. We saw it through the recession we had to have. We saw it through the oil crisis of the 70s. We've seen it time and time and time and time and time again. Yet somehow, as human beings, we err in, onto the side of fear and we start to question what has been a trend for longer than we've been alive. And I'm going to show you more and more of that in just a sec. Now, Gavin loves to say that the market is like a beach ball held underwater. If you take a beach ball or any kind of ball, hold it underwater in your swimming pool or at the beach, as soon as you let it go, what happens to the beach ball? It explodes out of the water. That is what is going to happen in the property market when we come out of this uh, period of uncertainty and of difficulty driven by these high interest rates. So you've heard us say, for those of you who've been around the business for a while, that we're now living in opposite world. Bad news for the economy, rising unemployment, you know, slowing uh, economic growth and slowing GDP data, uh, rising interest rates, all bad news for the economy, which is good news for prices, right? Good news for property prices. I'm going to show you that relationship in just a minute. And we've seen the same policy response since 1987. Right, inflation rises, they increase interest rates, they print money, and uh, that floods the market. They incentivize us to spend. Inflation goes up. They raise interest rates again to get us to slow down our, our spending. That slows the economy down, raises unemployment. How do they fix that? Dropping interest rates and so on. I'm going to show you that relationship uh, back a couple of decades. So you can see there the Australian labour market indicators. So the unemployment rate is the blue. Right, the seek applications are the black, and you can see that there's a bit of a lag between the unemployment rate and seek applications. Uh, they're different measures, so they don't, it's, it's hard to explain the relationship in this particular graph. 
But you can see Seek Applications per advertisement has risen significantly over the last 12 months. Oh, that's the black line. Oh, that's the black line. Um, and you'll start to see that that blue line now will start to follow, it's sort of bouncing around the bottom, and we'll start to see it increase significantly uh, over the next 18 months to 24 months. Now, unemployment rate, uh, in our opinion, needs to hit around 4.5% to bring some balance back into the market. At the moment, uh, it's around 3.7%. And that is part of the reason why inflation has been so difficult to tackle, because there's not much... Um, there aren't many people around there to employ. So uh, companies have to pay people more than they're probably worth. And therefore, people have got more money in their pocket and they're spending a bit more. And the Reserve Bank has had to raise interest rates more than they would have liked to in order to offset some of that extra income that people have been earning. So once we see unemployment start to rise to where, where that sort of balanced market, 4.5%, 5%, we'll start to see a little bit more control in that spending environment. And we're seeing a little bit of that now. Now, the last domino to fall before you see the interest rate cut is unemployment, right? As soon as unemployment starts to rise, that's when the the Reserve Bank starts to respond and starts dropping interest rates. And we will see that. And let me show you how that's happened in history. So the relationship between unemployment uh, rates and interest rates uh, are shown in this graph. So um, the red is the cash rate, right, interest rates. The blue is unemployment, okay? So when you see unemployment rise, you see rates fall. So unemployment rose, so the blue line went up, the red line fell. The blue line went up, red line fell. 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 And we're about to see the blue line start to rise again. Now. We know that forecast uh, unemployment, you can see there we've tracked what the government is expecting, with the, which is this slight increase in unemployment that you see there towards the end, right? We've got that's gone into 23, 24, right? And therefore you will see uh, um, a slight, probably a quarter lag before we see interest rates start to fall as a result, right? History is very, very clear on that. Um, the AMP pipeline, uh, inflation indicator, continues to collapse, right? So we know inflation uh, is falling and it will continue to fall, right? Again, that points towards um, a um, uh, more likely environment for an interest rate fall. Now, Gavin reckons that next year when we get the December data, we will see that inflation will have a three in front of it, right? So we'll be back uh, into the threes. So pipeline inflation indicator bounced a little bit due to fuel costs. You can see that little bit of blue uh, jump there right at the end of the graph on the right-hand side. Uh, but it continues to point to further falls. Services inflation are usually the last to fall. Uh, again, has a lot to do with the number of people that are in the market for employment. And here's something else. So for us as property investors, what is very, very important is that relationship between supply and demand. Okay. Like anything, if you have more supply than demand, prices will rise, okay? I'm going to show you something else that's going to show you why prices are going to rise, and that is return on that investment, but we'll show you, I'll show you that in just a second. So there are three colors in this graph. The green is building approvals, all right? And you can see that um, post-GFC, we had this sort of boom period 
uh, up until around 2014, 15 when they peaked. And then they sort of bounced around, fell, rose again as a result of COVID. And, and why did that happen? That was low interest rates. Okay. How many people committed to knock down rebuilds, right? Building granny flats, building, um, you know, little apartment box towns when, when money was cheap. There was a lot. All right. And that was before the period when construction costs absolutely exploded. And we've seen exactly why there's been a fall away with that green line, because now construction costs have made a lot of buildings um, no longer feasible. Right? So you've seen a significant fall, a significant drop away uh, with approvals. And if we draw a line exactly across, we are back to about 2013 levels. And that line will drop below the 2012 levels that you see there over the next couple of years. Right? The construction costs are not going to fall. They're going to stay relatively stable where they are. So what needs to happen is the market pricing needs to catch up before it's feasible to build again. That is going to take a few years, all right? Now, what we've seen, of course, is that massive dip through COVID. That's obviously the demand, right, for housing. That massive dip through COVID and then that massive recovery. And now we have demand higher than supply and higher than approvals. The blue line, obviously, is supply. Why is there that little kink? Well, that was all the stuff that was committed to when money was cheap, right, and building uh, construction costs hadn't increased uh, to the point where they are now, right? We'll start to see that dip away because, obviously, completions uh, lags approvals, right? Now, where is all this demand coming from? Well, 600,000 people are expected to arrive in Australia by the end of this year, this calendar year. So by the time we count the numbers, so far we have the numbers until the end of the September quarter. We don't have the numbers for the December quarter. We'll have them next year. We will see that we will have had 600,000 new people. That is about a quarter of the Brisbane population. That is bigger than the ACT population. That is bigger than the Newcastle population. Right? So both of those populations are under half a million. That is an enormous number of people. And there we are expecting another 300,000 people next year. The government has made moves towards making it more difficult for overseas students and other people to immigrate to Australia as a result of trying to manage this housing crisis while at the same time realising that we need more people in the labour force. It's a difficult balance. Yeah, Can't have more people in the labour force if you don't bring people in from overseas. Right? But bringing people in from overseas also means they're taking up the very limited supply of housing. Right? So people that are currently here can't get somewhere to live. So dwelling stock is forecast to decline until 2026. So what are we now? End of 23, uh, we will uh, see the decline for another two or three years, right? Why? Because that's how long it's going to take for the market to make those construction costs and land prices uh, feasible again. Okay? So the supply-demand imbalance is driving rents and will drive prices, and I'm going to show you that relationship. Uh, in just a second. Now, we know that the every single one of you that is watching, that has had your property for more than six months, should have seen a significant increase in your rents. If you haven't, you need to talk to Helen or Vanessa and or Vanessa uh, in my team to discuss why. Yeah? Why haven't you had an increase in rents? Where is your property manager? What is going on? You need to make sure that you are getting market rent, right? So rents have increased at the fastest rate in recorded history. 
13.7% per annum over the last three years. When we had a meeting to discuss this actual uh, presentation, this information, I said to Gavin, who has been working with me now for since 06 or something, 16, 17 years we've known each other. <coughs> if someone had said this to me, one day we'll see a period where rents will increase 14% every year for three years, I would have said to them, you don't understand how the market works. You don't know what you're talking about, right? This is absolutely phenomenal growth, phenomenal. Over the last 12 months, 15.2%. Just crazy numbers. If you look at that graph on the right-hand side, you can see it's relatively clear. The blue bar is the last 12 months and the red is the last three years. And those markets that are leading the, the run, Perth, Melbourne, Sydney, and that's no surprise because that's where most of the po population growth is going. <coughs> now, rents have been a larger contributor to total returns than the actual capital growth over the last 12 months. So let me explain to you how rental yields work. And Gavin put this, uh, this um, slide together for me. And then this morning, I added another couple, right? Because I wanted to roll it out so that you sort of understand the picture. Now, your rental yield is the annual rent as a percentage of the price of the property, okay? Now, what is my rental yield? My rental yield is my rent against what I paid for the property. What is the market rental yield? The market rental yield is the rent, the yield, annual income against the current value of the property, right? Obviously, the, the longer I hold it and the more my rents increase, the more my yield improves, right? But typically what happens is yields rise over time and then prices rise and then the yield drops because the price outgrows the rent. They don't grow at the same pace, yeah, depending on what happens. Recently, the prices have grown rapidly and the rent wasn't growing as rapidly and so therefore the yields dropped and I'll show you why for those of you who are not mathematically um, uh, inclined. I'm going to show you how to calculate, right? And I'm going to leave it on the screen for a sec so you guys can take a uh, photo. So in the market, if you can get a 5% yield on your property, that's pretty good, all right? A 5% yield is considered a pretty good yield. Now, to calculate your rental yield, it's your annual rent over the property price. Now, I want you to work it out on what you paid for your property, all right? And that gives you a yield, all right? Now, $500 a week times 52, $26,000 a year over $500, you know, $500,000 that I paid will give me a rental yield of 5.2%, okay? Now, by the way, you, the number that you get when you divide your annual rent by your property price uh, is a rental yield that's a decimal. If you want to get it as a number, multiply by 100, okay? So you'll get, you know, point. 0.5, which of course is 5%, right? If you want to uh, think of it that way. So let me show you real numbers. All right? Now, if, I get, if I'm getting 625 bucks a week for my property, uh, that's an annual rent of 32,500. Okay, 625 times 52. And I'll pay 650 for my property. Okay, so this is a recent property that client. And if I divide 32,500 by 650, I'll get 0.05. If I multiply that by 100, I'll get 5%, okay? 
Okay, so that is considered a pretty good yield. If I'm buying property for six fifty and I'm getting six twenty five a week, cool. That's pretty good. All right. Now, what is actually happening? Rental yield increase. Well, my rent is going to go from six twenty five to seven fifty over the next 12, 18, 24 months. Right through this period of mass undersupply and record low dwelling approvals. Right. So remember. We're going to continue to see this undersupply through to 2026, which means rents are just going to continue to rise. If you've ever had a conversation with Helen about it, you'll know she doesn't think that the rental growth period is going to slow down for a few years yet. Okay. Now, on the top of the price that I paid, which was 650, right? This client that I'm telling you about. So now if I go 750 times 52, my annual rent's 39,000. 39,000 divided by the 650 I got gives me a yield of 6%. Now, 6% is a very high yield. 6% is fantastic. Now, when I'm paying 6.5% interest at, my, at the bank, 6% isn't as great as I'd like it to be. But when those rates fall and my yield is 6%, those numbers are going to look cracking, right? Amazing. Now, what happens in the market to bring the yield back to what is a reasonable yield, right? How, do, how does the rent stay the same but the yield drop? Well, the only way that can happen, for those of you mathematicians, is for the price to rise, right? So let me show you how to get the, the yield back to 5%, okay? Now, if I'm getting 750 a week rent, now to get a rental yield of 5%, my property price has increased to 780. I paid 650, right? My rent went up to 750. When interest rates drop, investors come back into the market and they go, wow, I'm going to get a good yield of 5%. That property is worth 780 grand. That is part of what drives the growth of our properties, right? It's not just about the capital growth. There is a relationship that's driven by the rent. That's why it's so important to make sure that you're getting good rent and that you're at least getting your market rent and driving the rent up to match the risk that you're taking. Now, I know some of you out there are like, oh, my, but the poor tenant, fine. At the end of the day, it's up to you how you manage that. Some of my properties, I've got good tenants in there. Yeah, I'm a little bit more reasonable with my increases. Others, I want to get the tenant out. I'm going to push the bar. You know what? The market's 720. Go back to them with a 750 amount. They want to stay. They're annoying. I'm, they're going to pay overs, right? Otherwise, hopefully they'll give... Uh, um, you know, they'll give notice, they'll move out and I'll get someone else in and I'll charge them seven, right? So that all depends on, you know, your own financial position, how you're managing your risk, how you feel about you as an investment. Remember, this is a business, right? So where are we in the market? Well, uh, some of you may remember uh, this picture from uh, previous presentations that I've done. And, you know, one of our favourite lines and Gavin... Yeah, runs around the office talking about it all the time. When in doubt, zoom out. When in doubt, zoom out. There's nothing like moving up a level or two to get a bit of perspective on what the market, what's happening with the market now. I'm sure many of you that are on social media or whatever have seen this meme, right? Sometimes it's used for people that want attention. You know, they're not really drowning. They're just sitting in a bathtub, yeah? So uh, some of us have got friends like this. Anyone got a friend like this? Yeah. Uh, we're almost certainly already in a bull market. What is a bull market? Bull market is a good market that's growing and aggressive. And, right? So you, some of you have heard the term bull market and bear market. The bear market is there's not many investors around. Everyone's quiet. Nothing's, not much is happening. Right? 
Now, I reckon we're in that transition between the bear market and the bull market because we're just waiting on that unemployment rate to rise a little before we see interest rates fall, and then boom, we're going to get that push that we're all sitting around waiting for. So um, we're already pushing into the bull market. It's just that most people don't know it yet. And this is really what the markets look like, right? There's the peak consolidation correction, peak consolidation correction, and then that's where we are now in a, in a market cycle where we're going to peak at about 27, 28, uh, about six or seven years after the mid-cycle mid consolidation. Right? And you can see it's a relatively consistent. And you can see that it's sort of 16 years, 15 years, 15 years, 11 years, right? Of course, the most recent one was a bit more aggressive as a result of the extreme data that was driven by COVID. Record low interest rates, yeah? So this is the time to hold and to buy, right? And or buy. If you can afford to buy, you certainly should be buying. So should I hold? Well, obviously, I think we should, but holding can be painful, right? For those of us who also have a mortgage, you know, our mortgage payments have gone up, our groceries have gone up, our petrol has gone up, our electricity bills have gone up, and now, Tony, you're telling me I need to hold my property investment because, you know, it's killing me. Everything is harder. I get it. I'm not, I'm certainly not... Um, uh, unsympathetic to that. I am, absolutely, because I am one of you. Right? As you know, I have a lot of property and a lot of that property has a lot of debt. Right. So what makes it painful? Well, it's the uncertainty. But most of it's in here. Most of it is psychological. Right. We hate uh, uncertainty and that's what creates people selling. Right? We need to overcome the pain. So in order for us to overcome the pain, we need to zoom out and we need to look at the market as a cycle right? from a higher perspective. We need to look long-term, focus on the long-term. And of course, we know what the cost of regret is. Property always looks expensive when you buy it. There's very rarely somebody stands in front of a property and goes, wow, this property is awesome, it's cheap, right? Property is only ever cheap in the past. So let's have a look at what it used to cost. Some of you may know that 12 days ago, I turned 50, right? I know I look fantastic for a 50-year-old with this hairstyle, but I turned 50 and one of the lovely gifts that I got from my 50th was the Sun newspaper from the 30th of November, 1973. Hang on one second. Uh, I happen to be in my office at home, and this is it. Look, I don't know if you can see that. Can you see that? Zoom, can't see it because of the, because of the, uh, because of the blurring, but it's a Sun newspaper, uh, 30th of November, 1973, right? Very, very cool. And of course, being the property nerd that I am, what did I do? First thing I did was look for the property prices. Oh. And I'm halfway through the newspaper. So it's a Sydney newspaper, so they're Sydney prices and they're Sydney suburbs. West Ride, one and two bedroom units, modern kitchen, including a breakfast bar. Ooh, amazing. Lavish bathroom which now we would consider to be retro, of course, uh, $18,950. Harbord on the Northern Beaches, $19,500. What about this? Three bedrooms with ensuite in DY, also on the Northern Beaches, $33,500. Elizabeth Bay, what I want you to notice is the insignificant difference between suburbs that are now deemed to be untouchable 
and suburbs that are um, sort of middle class. Yeah, so West Ride and Elizabeth Bay or DY and Elizabeth Bay, not that different, right? I know you get a three-bedroom in DY, but, you know, now it would be two, two, three, four, five times as much, okay? A two-bedroom apartment in Elizabeth Bay for $35,000. Here we are. We are in Centennial Park, a two-bedroom apartment in Centennial Park, $27,500. Just amazing. And at the time, everybody would have thought they were expensive. Now, one of the things that we're stressing about, obviously, is the cash flow. So in December 22, when we had these really low interest rates, uh, we're getting 638 rent on that 650 property. Um, Two and a half percent, it was $173 cash flow positive. What about that? So after we earned all the rent, paid all the bills and applied all the tax benefit, we're $173 a week in front. Amazing. And a year later, we've gone from $173 a week positive to $146 a week negative. No, basically a $300, $320 turnaround. And that's not insignificant. $15,000 a year. It's a big difference. Yeah. However, rates will not stay that high forever. And rents won't stay where they are for much longer, right? Because we know rents are going to keep rising and we know rates are going to fall. So if we increased our rent modestly uh, up to 703 uh, which is around 10% from where they were uh, in December of last year and only 5% higher than they are now. And rates dropped by the end of next year, about a percent, a little bit over a percent, where now it's going to cost us 19 bucks a week. Oh, that's much more palatable, of course. And I reckon rates are going to settle somewhere between four and a half and five. We know that rents are going to keep going up. So a couple of years from now, we're back in the green. Right? We're cash flow positive again. Anybody who sold in this period is going to have seller's remorse. Yeah? We're going to regret it. Need to find a way to hold. Now, what are the things that you can do in order to help you? Well, obviously, for those of us who don't like budgeting or don't do budgeting, it might be something we need to turn our eye to. Right? So we're having a chat in the meeting at work, and you know, different people came up with different ideas. Right? So Gavin said, you know what? Um, I'm not, you know, I'm on the Telstra network, but I'm not with Telstra and I'll pay a fraction of the price. Well, that could save you 30, 40, 50, 60 bucks a month. Yeah? Um, there are fuel apps, apparently I don't use them, but there are fuel apps that will help you save money on fuel. Right? Focus on the necessities. Uh, review your interest rates with your broker. Is it time to refinance? Have you refinanced? Is there a conversation? Can you go back to your current bank and see if they'll drop your rate? Yeah. Tell them you're going to refinance with someone else and see what they do. There's also this thing called an income tax withholding variation. It's an acronym. You can call it an ITWV, where instead of waiting until uh, tax time for you to get your money, you can go to your accountant. They can do an ITWV for you, right? That gets given to your employer, and then your employer takes less tax out of your um, fortnightly wages, okay? And that'll help you with your cash flow. So it's just an online form with the ATO or talk to your accountant about it. Obviously, property management is significant. Yeah, do a rent review. I know many of you already have spoken to my team, to Helen and Vanessa, and you're already um, you know, pushing the rent to where it needs to be in the market. But if you're not, please make sure that you do. Right, do a rent review. You're probably under market. A lot of you are probably under market, and you need to treat your property investment like a business. All right, you need to cut your costs. You need to boost your revenue. 
So cut your costs, yeah, your spending, your fuel, your phone bill, your whatever, your booze, drink, drink cheaper wine or cheaper scotch or don't drink for a while uh, and boost your revenue, your rent, right? Cut your costs. That could also mean your interest rate uh, and maximise your deductions, right? Please make sure that you are, you, you've got your depreciation schedule and your accountant is applying it. Right? Very, very important. Now, we know when you sell, you need to pay commissions, you need to pay marketing costs. Um, you might lose some rent during the sales campaign so that you can sell it vacant. Of course, we're not in a we're not in a seller's market at the moment, so there's also the discounting factor. Uh, there are times to sell property and there are times not to sell property, and certainly now is not the time to sell a property, okay? Not to mention any kind of capital gains tax that you might have to pay. So all of a sudden, you're getting rid of tens of thousands of dollars so that you can relieve yourself from some short-term pain. Please don't do that. Right? unless you're absolutely starving and you need to kick your kids out because they're too expensive, all right? Now, remember, stay calm. The period that we're in will not be the way it is forever, all right? It will shift. And as most of you know, these environments shift relatively quickly. One minute, it's a disaster. Next minute, it looks amazing, all right? We know that. Talk to us. Please don't talk to the wrong people. There is a there are a lot of shit talkers out there. You know, one of my team was telling us about the her brother-in-law was telling her about how the market was going to crash after the Sydney Olympics, right? Now, in the year 2000, a median house price, the median house price in Sydney was $287,000. 287. Now, it's about 1.4 million. Mate, please don't talk to the wrong people. If you want to talk to someone in our office, talk to Owen, right? Owen is amazing at giving you perspective on exactly what's going on with your situation and its relative relationship to the market. Tighten your budget, review your rent, review your rate, and what else can you give up before you give up a property? That's a really, really good question. One of the team asked that question in the presentation. I think it might have been Gavin. What else can you give up before you give up a property? Okay, what else can you give up before you give up a property? And it's only temporary. And for those of you who know me well, I'm going to finish with my favorite line. And that is, you need to hold your nerve. All right. In order to hold your property, you need to hold your nerve. All right. And holding your nerve means getting the right information, speaking to the right people. Uh, I want to give the Clever Investor a plug. It is our podcast. It is run by Owen. I make the occasional cameo, as do uh, many of the professionals in and around our business, highly, highly, highly recommend that you listen listen to the Clever Investor podcast, okay? If you hold your phone up to that uh, QR code, it will take you to Spotify. Uh, you can do it on the Apple podcast app, which is how I listen to it, uh, or whatever your favorite podcast app is, all right? I know I've gone uh, seven or eight minutes over. I'm sorry about that. I'll leave that on the screen. And I will open the chat box. Or oh, no, what I'll do is I'll open the I'll open. All right. So Pete retiring in 24. Uh Hendrix bought in 2017. Uh, hasn't been much growth. Nest egg looks to be costing me big money to sell. What would you do? Uh, Para Pete. Pete, just hold on to it. 
just hold on to it. I know um, some properties uh, haven't grown as we would have liked. I was just talking to somebody this morning about property that they bought in a in a development in Brisbane called Vita, which is in West End on the water. He and I both bought one bedders. Our rent has gone through the roof, right? And what I've done there is I've switched my loan. I'm not recommending everybody does this, but it might be something you want to look at. I've switched my loan over from interest only to P&I, and I've started paying down some of the principal to create my own equity. But when we come out of this little uh, recent period, uh, we will start to see from that yield position alone, not to mention what it costs to bring the same property to market, um, drive prices. And Hendrix is in Brunswick, which is an amazing suburb of Melbourne, uh, and we will see prices continue to rise there. All right, hang on. All right, hang on. Should rental yields be calculated on not just price paid on the property, but total left on borrowed costs? No, I wouldn't do that. I mean, you could. You could certainly if you ran it on how much your loan is, which is usually lower than what you paid, um, then your yield should be better, right? But for those of us who borrowed on some properties 100% or 105% using equity in another property, um, you might find that then uh, the yield's a little bit lower because you're calculating against 105%, uh, which is not the price you pay. But it's not really that relevant. What is most relevant is to give you an idea of where your how your yield is trending and what that means for the value of the property when we come out of this high interest rate period. Thank you, Anonymous. Uh, why is a 5% rental yield good versus trying to have properties which are providing 8 or 9% yield? Um, on a property, when you purchase it at market value, a 5% yield is pretty good. You will never find a property on the market at market rate, market value, yielding 8 or 9%. Highly, highly unlikely. The only time you will do that is when you're in a um, um, fabricated marketplace, you know, a, a mining town or places where you get very, very little growth, right? So yields are high, but growth is low. And the growth is what makes us wealthy. And, I mean, I've got lots of properties that are yielding 8 or 9% on what I paid for them, right, because I'm getting, you know, eight 900 bucks a week on a property I paid 350 for years and years ago. Um, so really it's a relationship between what you're trying to achieve with respect to capital growth versus what the market yield looks like. Right? Um, Andrew Choi, what cities do you think um, will add on significant supply over the next, oh, sorry, which cities currently have the largest gaps between supply and demand, uh, Perth and Melbourne? Uh, which cities do you think will add on significant supply over the next one or two years? I think the cities that will add the most significant supply over the uh, next one or two years are the ones with low uh, land value. So because construction costs are relatively similar all over the country, I would probably say Adelaide will probably supply the most property over the next few years because obviously their land value is the lowest. Uh, and probably Perth, although Perth is significant undersupplied, uh, but I would say Adelaide would be uh, the number one location for supply which is part of the reason why we're staying away from it um, for the moment. And it's seen, it's seen some pretty good uh, pretty good supply, uh, pretty good growth, which has been awesome. But that's been on the back of cheap money. Uh, if you can sell an investment property with $200,000 capital growth after three years, uh, is this a good play? Absolutely not. Why would I sell 
Why would I make a $200,000 capital gain after three years, sell it, pay someone, uh, pay capital gains tax, probably buy another property and then pay stamp duty on the way in? I'm just giving away hundred grand. What for? Just hold the, hold the property and turn that $200,000 capital growth into another $200,000. I know, for example, we've got some of our clients who bought in Market Lane on the Sunshine Coast in 2019, and they've made four, five, six hundred $600,000. And I've been recommending to all of them, just hold. Don't sell unless you have to sell. The market is not going to come back and eliminate your gains. Right? It might bounce around a little bit, but hold long-term wherever possible. Only sell if it's part of a retirement strategy. Melinda, what are your thoughts on 30 lenders? Uh, I want to build uh, build our home by service, but serviceability is an issue uh, for a loan due to our investment properties. Melinda, I love 30 lenders. Anybody who lend me money to achieve my goals, I'm a big fan of. Right? There's no reason in the world why you wouldn't use um, a 30 lender. Um, thank you, Jess. Happy belated birthday. Thank you. Naughty had HSBC take 0.35 off my Footscray loan yesterday, saved me 1400 bucks. There you go. So one of those things that I just talked about was going to your lender and haggling with them to reduce your interest rate, right? Uh, Naughty did it yesterday, uh, saved himself 1400 bucks a year. So pretty awesome. Susan, great presentation. You have been listening to the Clever Investor Podcast, proudly sponsored this week by Blue Wealth Property. Are you ready to start a new investment journey? Get in touch with the industry leaders. Blue Wealth Property. Blue Wealth have a proven track record in using research to identify growth markets. And Blue Wealth have supported thousands of Australians to buy the right property in the right market at the right time. Go to bluewealth.com.au.